Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. ocean it's a derivative from a, a verse in the quran where allah says like if all of the ocean was ink uh, uh ink to the pen of god to the words of allah subhanahu like it would run dry before the words of allah runs dry so you know the quran is a central part obviously of our tradition the uh, you know abdullah ibn sahl uh, uh, abdullah uh, sahl ibn abdullah he said that whom the proof of loving allah is your relationship with the quran and the proof of loving the um, the quran is your relationship with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the proof of <clears throat> loving the prophet sallallahu is the proof of loving the sunnah of the prophet meaning actually articulating the sunnah and <clears throat> the proof of loving the sunnah is leaving um jazakallah khair leaving the akhirah like leaving the dunya for the choosing this the akhirah for the dunya meaning the other world for this world in the proof of uh loving the 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 afterlife over this life is having disdain over the things that are material material things plastic things um also the quran if the prophet sallallahu he's described by our mother aisha as quran like the walking quran so the one that received wahi in order to understand what the articulation of what he's trying to, you have to actually, you have to know and have a relationship with Wahi, right? So the, the Quran is everything. The Quran is everything. But moreover, one of the really important parts of this class is the question I would begin with, and before we even get in to introduce ourselves, is how does the Quran inform our worldview? Like, does it, do we actually look at the world through the lens of the Quran? Meaning that is it actually informing the way we make our decisions, the way we um, deal with one another, the way we prioritize our lives? Is it based upon the what we would consider to be as Muslims, revelation, revelation? And the surah that we're, 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 we're uh, delving into is called Surah Al-Hujarat, called the Chambers. This surah is called the chapter of adab. Like Asidi Mike said, it's a chapter of etiquette, morals, character. But moreover, it's the chapter of the pillars of civilization. Like this is how you build a community, a civilization. These are the principles in which they stand. And this, you know, um, this session we call, or this sort of exploration, we usually, you'll hear this word a lot called tafsir. Does anybody know what a tafsir is? Anybody know what a tafsir is? Exegete. That's one of that's like those one of the words that only Muslims use. What's an exegete? <laughs> it's an explanation of the Quran. Literally, you know what it literally means? Fasra yufasru means yani fasartu satair. That it means to remove a curtain. 
from something, to open up the curtains and look what's on the other side of something. So the idea of, of a tafsir, like you said, is to find an explanation, but to actually look through the outward, the inward meanings and all of the multiplicity of meanings of the Quran. That's why Imam Ali said that if the if you uh, an explanation of the ba in Bismillah, it would hold a thousand books on one camel. The explanation of of the nukta, the dot on the ba of Bismillah, its explanation would hold a thousand books on a camel's in the explanation of just when the pen meets the paper, just that would have an explanation of a thousand books on a, on a, on a camel, right? So like you, if you look at like a lot of the smaller surahs in the Quran, with quote unquote the smaller surahs, which is like Juz'amma, which you're familiar with, their, their explanations or their tafasir are like um, ridiculous. They're incredibly long, right? Surah Al-Fatiha has an entire, like, like it's volumous. You can do an entire year just talking about Surah Al-Fatiha. Mike, Mike studied with some teachers Surah Al-Fatiha. How long did it take you? Did you even complete like years and you're not, like you're just at the third, fourth, you just keep going on Surah Al-Fatiha, right? Some of you have taken it, like it's just incredibly long. So that's why people say that some of the scholars said Al-Fatiha al-Um al-Quran wa kullu akhir al-Sharha. Like the Fatiha is the foundation of the Quran. Everything else is the explanation of the Fatiha, right? So uh, this is tafsir. And the conditions of a tafsir, and I'm just introducing before we get in. So we'll do three things in this class that we'll do the we'll do an introduction of what this class is and what a tafsir is, and then we'll do the first four ayahs of Surah Al-Hujurat. The first four ayahs of Surah Al-Hujurat. Shah Abdul Aziz Al-Dahlawi, he's the son of a great scholar named Shah Waliullah Dahlawi. He says that there are uh, conditions for a tafsir, like what you're going to be exploring, is that every Tafsir, every mufassar should A, know the actual meanings of the word. That means that everything that we're, we're, we're um, delving into, there is linguistic and grammatical analysis first. You have to know the language, right? You have to obviously know the language and the access of what you're learning, right? Then the second, that everything has to be explained in context, what's called as-siyaq, the context of the main theme. So you have to know the theme of what you're what you're reciting. When you when you recite Surah Al-Baqarah, right? When you read Baqarah, you have to understand that a lot of Baqarah is about um, the themes of 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 the world and and the diseases of the heart. It, the themes are about reconciling the diseases of the heart or purifying the heart through what is halal and haram, and then moving towards stories of prophets dealing with what is permissible and impermissible. Right, that's Surah Al-Baqarah. If you understand these themes, these overarching themes, there was a a really important book that was written, I think in the eighties, by um, Dr. Fazlur Rahman, rahmatullahi, who was a professor at University of Chicago. It was called the Themes of the Quran, and it, it was based off of uh, some books in Arabic. But it's but it's an ex, it's a reference point. You should look it up. It's a really good book about. Um, uh, approaching the Quran thematically because the Quran is not a linear book. It's not a linear, there's no beginning and end. There's no genesis in the Quran. It doesn't begin and it doesn't have a middle. It doesn't have a rising action, a climax, uh, and then an end. It doesn't have any of those things. The Quran is uh, non-linear. Why? Because it's a book not of science. It's a book not of narrative. It's a book not of necessarily um, uh, a philosophy. The Quran is a book of guidance. It's huda, huda lil mu'minin. It's a guidance for the believers. 
right? That it's a nurul huda, it's the light of guidance, the Quran. And if you read it through the lens of like, it has certain scientific realities to it. It has certain um, historical like accuracies to it. But the point of the Quran is recognizing that it's first and foremost, a, a manual in terms of how we navigate the human experience. That's the Quran. So you approach it with that because if any of those other things that you relegate the Quran to changes, well, then does revelation itself change? Right? So if it's based off of science, what if the science changes, then what? Then you're in a bit of a conundrum. Then you can't, how do you reconcile with the Quran? No, the Quran is a book of guidance. And the third one is that every uh, interpretation should not be contrary to the companions of the Prophet ﷺ who witnessed revelation. That all of the uh, explanations we get from the companions' understanding were called the Sahaba in the Tabi'een, the followers in the Tabi'een, right? And it's usually uh, categorized into four main or three main um, degrees of tafsir. The first one is called a tafsir birriwaya, right? This is the interpretation of the Quran through the verses and the prophetic understanding of those verses and the companions' understanding of those verses. So, Yerhamukullah, that the ummatul kitab, like the foundation of all of our interpretive qualities, are from a companion named Ibn Abbas the cousin of the Prophet Ibn Abbas, that all, all of the tafasir, they all point back to Ibn Abbas by some point, by some point. And the second would be a tafsir birra'i or ilm al-dhiraya, that this is not based on transmissions of knowledge, but on what's called reason. What's, you'll hear these words in usul al-fiqh, qiyas, which is analogy, or ijtihad, deductive reasoning, but this takes formative sciences, right? Like these are the mufassirun, the people that dedicated their lives just for the study of the Quran, right? So you'll have people like Az-Zamaqshari, who's wrote a very important scholar um, of Islamic grammar and linguistics, Imam Al-Qurtubi, the Cordoban Imam, uh, uh, Imam Ibn Al-Kathir, right? Ibn Kathir, you've heard of Ibn Kathir. There's two Ibn Kathirs. There's one that has qira'ah and there's one that's the exegete of the Quran. Or Imam um, uh, uh, Hafid al-Manawi, right? These are all names. And if you're writing these names, like after these class, look these names up every now and then, right? Because you should know who these people are. You should take independent research and you should just look them up, like read the Wikipedia page or something, even if that's it. But like look them up, like have these names in your head so you're familiar with them. And these are like explanations of the rules of the Quran, the rulings of the Quran, the, 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 the uh, what's called the asbab and nuzul, the reasons of revelation. When did these get revealed? Well, I'll give you an example. What's the last verse to be revealed in the Quran that we know of? Anybody know? Usually, it'd be today we've completed your religion for you. That today we've completed your religion for you. There's a huge difference of opinion. It could be that. That's actually, some of them say that's not even the strongest opinion. It could be that the, the, the last verse was the prohibition of, 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 uh, of interest. Right? Some of them say. The other verse says about the, the, the hurma, the tahrim al-khamar, the permissibility of alcohol. Why? Because it was in the last days 
where what was what was flooding the streets of Medina? It was alcohol was flooding the streets of Medina. So some of the Mufassirin said, wait, if that was after the if that was after the khutbah of Arafat, that must mean that this revelation happened, the impermissibility of alcohol happened towards the latter years, right? Who is drinking alcohol then? The agitating question, who is drinking alcohol? It was Muslims in Medina that totally didn't like um, get the entire prohibition of alcohol yet, right? So we don't know, but this is what the study of, and I'm not making any canon statements here. What I'm saying is these are the conversations that the Mufassirun will have. And then they would extrapolate fiqh from that, rulings from that. And then you have what's called uh, tafsir bil-ishara, which goes through more concepts and ideas. So you'll hear uh, one of my favorite, his name is Fakhridin al-Razi, Miftah al-Ghayb, or Mafatih al-Ghayb, the keys to the unseen. It's called Fakhridin al-Razi, right? They talk about the inward means of the Qur'an, the interpretive qualities of the Qur'an, the thematic, thematic quality of the Qur'an. One of the rare, rare, and I don't even think this has been even close to translated at all yet, but uh, parts of it have, it was Ibn Ajiba's um, uh, um, his, uh, his in Bahr al-Madid, Bahr al-Madid, the expansive ocean, which is a tafsir on the outward meanings of a surah and in the inward meanings of a surah, right? What are the isharat of a surah? What are the inward um, implications of those things? What's called dahir, al-ma'ana dahir? The outward meaning in ma'an al-baltin, the inward meaning of it. So these are the three categories of, of tafasir that you will find. And it was related that uh, Ibn Abbas said tafsir of his four kinds. One, in which the Arabs, they can totally, un Arabs meaning who? Anybody that speaks Arabic. Al-Arabi al-Lugha mutakallim. Sayyidina Umar said Arabic is a language that is spoken. Whoever speaks it is from them. So if you understand Arabic, that's the first condition. You should know the outward meaning. You should know Qulhu Allahu Ahad means say there's no God but God. You should, it's, it's outward. It doesn't mean anything else outwardly except God is one. It doesn't mean God is three, it means God is one, right? And then um, he says that the second is which no one can be excused for not knowing. There are things that like what's called ma'loom dina darura, like you just, it's, it's known in the religion. You have to know them. Aqimu salah doesn't mean like dance. It means pray. Right? Like, like Utu Zakat, giving charity, it's, it's known. Like everybody in this room knows that that trope, you've heard that trope, Aqimu Salah wa Utu Zakat in the Quran over and over again. Every believer knows this trope. The third is what only the scholars know, right? Which are like chapters on Surah Tanisa, like the, the rulings on um, inheritance. Very complicated. The layperson can't just read the ruling and be like, that's inheritance. So you have to go through scholastic discourse to know that. Right? Only scholars know that. It takes a very, very long time to, to study that science. And then the third is things only which Allah knows. Right? Only Allah knows these things. And there's a verse in the Quran that Allah says, you know, Quran uh, that we have sent this Quran with what's called muhkamat. Muhkamat. Muhkamat are things that are clear. They're hukum. They're very clear. You can't argue them. He said, Quran. Those are the foundations of the Quran, right? The, the oneness of God is a foundation of the Quran. The end of times or the day of judgment is a foundation of the Quran. The finality of the Prophet is, is qat'in, is absolute. You're not going to be able to argue that. He said the rest of them, they're what's called mutashabihat. They're gray area. They're matters that are up for discourse. They're not conclusive, right? 
Um, and then he says, the ones that have a, they have a rust in their heart, a disease in their heart. They focus on the mutashabihats. They focus on these things. Why? That they see, they look to find inter conclusive interpretive qualities from things that Allah has not given them to. And, and they seek to cause fitna, tribulation between people. That if you don't believe my understanding of the Quran in this particular way, in this with verses that there's clear khilaf on, there's a difference of opinion, then you're not a Muslim or you're not amongst the rightly guided, et cetera, et cetera. That's a fitna. You can't do that. You can't make conclusive reason. Why? Because he says, that nobody knows about them except for Allah Ta'ala. Right? And who's like the ones that are firm in understanding and certainty, they relegate that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they're the muhkamat and they're the mutashabihats. The muhkamat are foundational verses. Un, like the meanings are sound. Ramadan, the meaning is sound of Ramadan. It's sound, right? Right? Now watch. Shahru Ramadan Quran. Ramadan is the time whoever sees the hilal, let them fast. We know what that means. If you see the Ramadan come in, you fast. Whoever is sick or traveling, let them have another. This is mutashabihat. The scholars defer on like, what is described as sickness? How do you repay the sickness you know, of the fast, et cetera, et cetera, right? This is a conversation that is between scholars of what that is, which verse is abrogated amongst those three things. So um, it's very complex science, but what we're going to try to do is discuss Surah Al-Hujurat in the sense of um, trying to make it, uh, trying to use the chapter, the Surah, to, um, to, uh, to give ourselves, you know, a sound understanding and a North Star and a compass, you know, some clarity. Uh, it was related once that uh, Abdullah ibn Umar, he said, um, he said that he was sitting by the door of the Prophet Sallallahu and the Prophet Sallallahu came to the door and he heard that there were people arguing and said, did Allah say this or did Allah not say this? They were arguing about what Allah said or not. The Prophet stormed in the door and the first time his face became red out of anger. And he said, did I... Is this what I've sent? This is what I've commanded you. Is this what revelation was sent for? For just simple argumentation? And he said that he said that if for you to dispute in parts of the books, book by Allah for other people, nations before you were led astray like this. You are doing nothing good here. Look at what I've commanded you and act by it. What you have been prohibited, if I prohibited it, then don't do it. Or if Allah has prohibited it, then don't do it. Meaning that what has destroyed nations is they were arguing over interpretive qualities of the Quran. Argumentation is impermissible in Islam. It's impermissible. The Prophet وسلم, said, he said, uh, he said, uh, Allah does not misguide the people after he's given them guidance. Except he's given them argumentation. He's given the argumentation. That's a sign of a community being misguided. That's why Surah Al-Hujurat is so important. Because Surah Al-Hujurat teaches us about how do we actually reconcile between two parties? What do we do if we come to a difference of opinion? What do we do if people come with false news? What do we do if there's suppositions about other people, etc., etc.? 
right? Imam al-Awza'i said, إِذْ يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ أَنْ يُعَذِّبُ قَوْمٍ فَيَرْزَقُهُمْ جَدَلٍ or جِدَالٍ that if Allah wants to punish a people, he gives them argumentation. That you see it as a punishment from Allah, right? We, we, so the ulama, the scholars, and the people of the past, they never saw like famine as a punishment. They saw it as a tribulation, that maybe it comes from our, our, our sins. Maybe Allah is just trying us for something. We'll never know, right? Because if tribulation is from your sins, who, who, who's tried more than the prophets? Who's tried more? You know, you hear people say, it's like, oh, you're going through tribulation because there's a lot of sin. Who's tried more than the prophets? Right? Were, were they being na'udhu billah? Would you ever say the Prophet was being punished by Allah? La Allah does not punish your people and you're amongst them. You're amongst them. We don't know what those are. But what we do know for a fact is that the only tribulation that is caused by sin is that you'll see argumentation between a fitna, discord. That's why Imam Ali said that a community with all of its perfections, a perfect community that is separated, or I'm sorry, a community with all of its sins or mistakes or misgivings that is united is superior than a community that is perfect, that is separated. A community with all of its flaws, baggage, drama, difficulty, you know, differences of opinion, this, that, whatever, you name it. One that is together, is far superior than a community that is separate but perfect. They can be sinless, but if they're, per but if they're separate, the jama'ah is why? Because Allah's hand is upon the what? Allah's hand is upon the jama'ah. Allah's hand is upon the jama'ah. This is a hadith of the Prophet, it's upon the jama'ah. Naam. So Surah Al-Hujurat, Allah says in Surah Al-Hujurat, which is uh, known as the chapter of Adab, it's, it's, it's called the chambers. Um, it's considered a Madani surah. So it was revealed in Medina in the time of the Prophet system during the latter years of, of his time in Medina. And he begins by saying, Ya Audu Billah min Shatan Rajim Bismillah Rahman Rahim, Ya Ayu Haladina Amru la Takadimu Baina Yede illa wa Rasul wa Tukullah in Allah Samuel Alim. That, O oh, you who believe, don't put in front anything, don't present or advance anything in front of Allah and his messenger and be mindful of Allah. He is the most hearing and the all-knowing. The Surah of Adab talks about four things. Civilizational values, as one of our teachers calls it. Number one, Adab with Allah. What's your Adab with Allah Ta'ala? Number two is Adab with the messenger of Allah. Number three is Adab with Muslims, with your community, that there's etiquette with your community. And number four is Etiquette with human beings, with other human beings. How do you deal with other nations, other tribes, other races, other civilizations? How do we deal with it? Those are the four things that you'll get out of the surah. Why? Because the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Innamal umamu bi akhlaqihim ma baqiyat. Nations are built by their ethics, their morals. Nations are built by their morals. If their morals are gone, then they are gone. So if you see moral decay in a nation, ethical decay in a nation, that's a telltale sign that that nation is coming to an end. Hedonism, right, is a sign that a nation is coming to its end. Right? These are historical signs, right, that people, that there's something wrong with the community if they're not based off of ethical values, that they would actually, they don't even have values. They don't have principles anymore. 
right? What is principle talking about? It's like, oh, where is God in their community? Is he a central focus in the community? How are they with their elders? How are they with their youth? How are they with their neighbor, right? Men, they are not from us who they don't have reverence for their elders you're not from us that if you're part of our community the default status here is that any elder in your community you have to give you have to give you have to give reverence to period but there's whatever disagreements you have and these are normal these are defaults we're not talking about like extraordinary cases, we're talking about the default that if you see an elder in a room, you stand up when you greet them. It's adab. When you're in a line waiting for food in a community dinner, right? What you do is you make sure that the elders are served first, or you ask, "Can I get you know? There's an elder there. Can I make you a plate?" You don't make them go and get it. You come and you serve them. Elders, right? But you also have to have mercy towards younger people. That the young people, the kids in your community should have a sense of belonging. They should feel like they're part of their community. They should feel a sense of freedom when they're here. They should feel some love for Allah and his messenger when they're here. There is a, there is a, uh, there is, um, a sign somebody put like in a Turkish mosque is that if you don't hear the laughing and screaming of children in the mosque, be aware of, the, of, the, of your next generation. Be aware of the next sign that you're not gonna have a next generation in the mosque or in your community. So the membership card is you have reverence for your elders and you have mercy towards your young people. You've ever heard the hadith, man lam yarham la yurham, whoever doesn't show mercy, mercy will not be showed upon them, right? Where's the context of that hadith? When the prophet, peace be upon him, he comes to Medina and he kisses his, his uh, grandson, Imam al-Hussein on the head. And one man says, Ya Rasulullah, I've had 12 kids, I've never kissed any of them because of it was a sign of like, like, it was not masculine to kiss your children. They're like, I'm not gonna kiss my kids. I'm not kiss my kids. Like I have 12 of them, almost like with pride. He said, I have 12 kids. I've never touched any of them. I don't kiss them. I'm not gonna hug them. I'm not gonna tell them I love them. I'm not gonna tell them. If I, I'm not gonna say I'm sorry to my kid if I'm like, I'm their father. Like what's wrong with me, right? What does the prophet say? Whoever doesn't show mercy, they won't be shown mercy, will not be shown upon them. Because why? The parent is the rub of the kids. Oh Allah, have mercy upon them like they became, they raised us. They did tarbiyah to us when they were kids. So if you want Allah, who's your Rabb, to show mercy upon you, you have to show mercy upon those that you've been given authority over, you've been given dominion over, you've been given care over, you've been given shepherding over, right? This is adab. And Allah begins that with saying, what? Don't put anybody in front of God, right? Like what did Lupe say? God over everything. Over everything. Allah Ta'ala is at the forefront. Every decision that you make, the question is, what does, is this pleasing to Allah or displeasing to Allah? That, that's the core of, your, of everything. Is this something that Allah would want me to do? Is it agitating? For sure it's agitating. Because there are things you're like, yeah, Allah's not going to want me to do this, but I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm probably going to do it. Oh, sorry, right? How many times? Like, yeah, I know it's probably wrong, but you know, I'm going to do it. But you have to begin with asking yourself at the core of it, is this something that's pleasing or displeasing to Allah, right? That there is a hierarchy. He begins with the hierarchy with Allah is the hierarchy. This called Nasul Quran. The Quran is the word of Allah and our guidance comes from the Quran and everything you do should be relegated by what the Quran says, period. 
period is if the Quran, for example, um, if you know, uh, if the Quran said, you know, uh, like um, gambling is impermissible for you, or or first or impermissible for you is the the lahm al khanzir like pig pork. Before you get to the conversation is, I wonder what the scientific, is it because a pork has one stomach and a cow has three stomachs and their digestive system is what, you know what I'm saying? Let's say like, it just is because it is. Like Allah just said, don't eat pork. That's it. There's no reasoning. Like pork is fine. It's a clean animal. They don't like, you know, the idea of like justifying it with like, oh, they eat their own defecation or they eat their children if they have to. Let's say they were the cleanest animals. Would you still stay away from pork? Would you still stay away? There's no reason to, reasoning behind it. Alhamdulillah, Allah has given us reasoning for everything, but there is no reasoning behind it, right? And there are things that we do. Why do we go around the Kaaba seven times when we do Umrah? Is there some reasoning? We don't know, right? We don't know except it's with Allah Ta'ala. Nobody knows except Allah Ta'ala knows about it, right? Why am I, okay, deeper than that, why am I put in this condition that I'm put in? Why am I put in a hostile environment? Like, what did I do to deserve and to be in a hostile environment? Why am I uh, from this culture or from this creed? Perhaps there's something that you hate and Allah, and it's better for you. Perhaps there's something that you love, but it's actually not good for you. Allah knows and you don't know. Allah knows and you don't know. That's a very difficult point of certainty to be at, right? That if Allah said it, سَمِعْنَا وَطَعْنَا We believe it. We believe it. And that was a test of, of Sayyidina Ibrahim, right? That was a test of Ibrahim. That is like, what does his son say? If your Lord told you to sacrifice me, then do it. If he said it, then do it. What does Hajar say? What are you doing? If this is from your Lord, then leave us be. Like, I don't really need you. If Allah said it, I'll be fine. Don't worry. Right? That is yaqeen. That's certainty. That's a high station to have. We ask Allah to reach us from that station, Ya Rabbi Alameen. And in the second is the Prophet Is a Prophet Everything is relegated to who? That your role model, your qudwa is Nabi He's your qudwa. He's the one that uh, is our moral compass. He's our moral code. The Prophet is our moral code. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Naam. So, like, if uh, you can read the Qur'an without the lens of the Prophet and I promise you, you'll go astray. You won't be able to articulate the Qur'an. But you have to read the Qur'an with the understanding, the tone, the compassion of the Messenger of Allah and how it was revealed to him and then how he articulated it. So when Sayyidina Aisha says that huwa kana Qur'an al-mashi, that he was a walking Qur'an, that means that if you want to understand what the Word of God really means, Look at the behavior of the Prophet right? Look at the behavior of the Prophet. You, you, there are verses of the Quran that are quote unquote harsh upon enemies of Allah and his messenger, but how was the Prophet upon enemies of the messenger of Allah after he's given victory upon them? What does he say? There's no revenge upon you today. You're all free. But the Quran said an eye for an eye, right? But if you forgive, if you forgive, if you, you know what I'm saying, it is better for you. But the prophetic model is ihsan, that he was going to go with what is better. So he was going to, he was going to forgive anybody that wronged him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that's the prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And one of the way we consider rulings is a hadith by 
It's called the Hadith of Mu'ad. And these are the two points before we get to the next verse. The first one is the Prophet ﷺ, he sends Mu'ad ibn Jabal to Yemen to give da'wah. He sends him to Yemen, Mu'ad. And he says, uh, when you reach there, Hayna ila Yemen, he says, Bima yahkum. what are you going to rule by? How are you going to judge? How are you going to give da'wah by? He says, Waqal bi kitabullah. So that's the first thing by the book of Allah. That's Allah. That's putting Allah first. Whatever Allah says, I will put it, I'll put that in the forefront. And then he says, Fa'inlam tajid, but what if you don't find it in the Quran? Faqal bi sunnati Rasulullah. I'll look at the sunnah, the practice of the Messenger of Allah. And then the Prophet is the genius of the Prophet's teaching. Look at the genius. But what if you don't find it in my sunnah? He says, what if you don't find something in the Quran and the sunnah? Right? He says, That I will look for my logical reasoning on, I will make logical reasoning. I'll make what's called ijtihad. I'll make purposeful reasoning. Right? And then the Prophet said, it said, the Prophet patted his chest. Right? Alhamdulillah to the Allah who has given tawfiq to the messenger of Allah and has made to what has been made to the messenger of Allah pleasing. Right? That there are things that you're going to come to that Allah, the book and the sunnah don't mention at all. Do you know how many questions I get on a daily basis and people are like, what's the ruling on this? I'm like, I don't know, dude, to be honest with you. Like, what's the ruling on wearing like t-shirts versus like like shalwar kameez. I'm like, I don't think that there's a ruling to be honest. Are you covering your outer? Like, I guess you could wear it like pink hijab versus like, there's no question. Like, I don't know, right? I don't know the ruling on this. Like, I can't tell you, right? Because why? That there are things that whatever the Quran and the Sunnah are quiet about, they're permissible. They're permissible. So there's a reality of like, you don't need to like make everything about, yeah, you look for it. If the Quran is silent upon it, if the Sunnah is silent upon it, you there's probably nothing wrong with it. A lot of times what happens is that this methodology gets flipped on its head, whether you're even inherited cultural understandings of Islam, you've inherited sometimes people's personal interpretations of Islam, sometimes you've inherited things that are open for discussion, and that's become like haram and halal. So you have what's called the thawabit, which are firm, they're absolute, they will never change. The mutagayirat, the things that are open to change, that they're open to change, they get flipped on its head. So the things that are open to change, we often treat like it's it, it's game over, right? Like you can never. It's if you do if you do A, B, and C, it's haram. But it's really about things that like have a difference of opinion upon that have become things that are absolute and things that are absolute that we're a little more lenient upon, right? So I'll give you an example. Another part of that same hadith. You know, we we're in a community. We give dawah, right? We give dawah to each other. We come and we learn about Islam. We learn about the Quran. You, you know, you try your best to like teach people. Um, the Messenger of Allah says that the Jabr said, Mu'ad ibn Jabr said that the Messenger of Allah said that like, Ya Mu'ad, when he was telling them, Ya Mu'ad, You are going to a people from the people of the book. What did he just do when he said that? You are going to a people of the people of the book. What did he inform him? What did he inform him? Who are the people of the book? Who are the, you guys, who are the people of the book? Christians, Jews, right? People have been given revelation. 
What did the Prophet just do? Before sending him to give da'wah, he named who he's going to. He said, look, this is your demographic, right? This is your demographic. These are, these are the people you are going through. Oftentimes, we don't even think about the community that we're serving. We, just, we don't even think about like, their background. We don't think about their ethnic background. We don't think about their value system. We don't think about the culture that they've grown up around. We just go and do stuff as if it happens in a vacuum. But the Prophet he's actually naming where they come from. This is who they are. And then he says, teach them Teach him there's no messenger, there's one God, Tawheed. There's no God but Allah, and the messenger of Allah is Allah. If they accept that, then teach them. God has made mandatory upon them the five prayers, the day and the night. But look what he said. If they accept that, the condition is what? They should accept that there's no God but God. Like, what's the point? People believe in three gods. They're like, yeah, but you have to pray now. To what? Like, what are you going to pray to, right? Yeah, I believe in God. I don't believe the messenger of Allah. Okay, that's great. Now you have to pay zakat. You don't even believe yet. What's the point of that? Are you following what I'm saying? You don't even believe yet. So he says, if they accept that, then tell them that there is no, that Allah has decreed the five daily prayers. And if they accept that, then tell them that uh, God has decreed charity from the rich and the poor. And then he said, look, listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. He says, Ya Mu'ad, Beware of the dua of the oppressed. There is no veil between them and God. No weird place to keep it. It's a strange place to talk about this, right? It's a really awkward place to put, like, you're talking about aqidah, you're talking about this, that, or the other. Um, but, like, but, like, why would he talk about the oppressed? Right? And he says, the scholars say that he says it for the following reason. Number one, look at the order. This is called tartib. Tartib is doing things in order, anything in order. The first thing you do in your community is you establish the aqidah of the community. You don't, establish, you don't come in and say, you have to dress this way. You need to change your name in this way. You need to deal with your family this way. You need to throw out this. You know, this has got to go. The jazz music's got to go. This, all this stuff has got to go. That's not the beginning of how you begin your community. For things that are what? Furu'i issues. They're branch issues. You begin with the usul. You begin with the core. And the core is that, man, like, how are you with God, bro? Like, how is your relationship with Allah? Like, do you love, do you actually believe in Allah to be like Allah? Do you believe in the messenger of Allah? Like, have you ever, you know, we, we, we tell people like, Mike's out, Mike, people, you know, Mike told me the story once, like he told, you know, he got invited once to like a Shahada story. Like, you know, they call us like, oh, tell me your Shahada story. So he went to this like, youth program and it was super weird for him because like, like if he told the Shahada story, it's like, yeah, this happened, it became Muslim. He was like, bro, it was so weird. Cause like all these kids stood up and started giving him a standing ovation. And he was like, why? <laughs> like, why are you giving me a standing ovation? He started giving him a standing ovation. And then he was like, well, stop guys, stop. Like, yeah, I told you my story, but like, when did you all ever take your shahada? And they were like, what? We're born, was like, yeah, but when did you actually take your shahada? When did you actually like ask yourself, it's like, do I actually believe in this thing or not? Right? Am, am, I, am I like just inherited something or have I actually sat back and been like, yeah, I believe in Allah. Like I believe in an omnipresent, all-seeing Allah, right? Then do you believe in the messenger of Allah? We never begin with that conversation. So we never begin with aqidah. We begin with what? We always begin with branch issues, branch fiqh issues, and you bring that to the community. So now the community is not based upon what? It's not based upon Allah and belief. 
It's based upon somebody else's interpretation of what that is. And if they're gone, then what happens? Your faith is also gone. So you never attach your faith to another person. You don't even attach your faith like, look, this is going to sound controversial, but permission, like you, shouldn't, you don't even attach your faith to your sheikh or your manhaj or your alim or your ideology or your teacher. Your teachers are, our te teachers are flawed, bro. Alhamdulillah. Because why? They're human beings. Does that mean you'd remove teachers from the rightful place? The Prophet said, put people in the rightful place. Your amir, your leader, is your leader. Your teacher is your teacher. Your parent is your parent. Your big brother is your big brother. You take from them because Allah has put them in a place. But does that mean that they're not flawed? Does that mean that you attach your iman? No, Allah is over everything because they are just arrows towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their messenger. They're taking you to Allah. So like a teacher attempts to bridge the gap between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what a real sheikh tries to do or a real sheikha tries to do, right? Both, both male and female. And then he says the five prayers. How important are the five prayers to you? How important? Like, are you actually like observing the five prayers? Is that been part of your conversation? You know, there is a, there is a tradition that says whomsoever, a man, a person that prays and drinks is better than the one that doesn't pray and doesn't drink. A one that prays and drinks is better than the one that doesn't pray and doesn't drink. SubhanAllah. Right? Why? Because prayer is the catalyst that will actually deliver you from actually drinking. It's a divine inspiration that gives you the motivation and gives you the sense of holistic value to get you to a place where you can stop drinking or whatever vice that you're going through. Right? And then he says, charity. Community needs to be based on charity. How are we empowering the people that are disenfranchised in our community? Are we actually giving them empowerment? Are we giving them a space in our community? Empower the people that are disenfranchised. And then he says, beware of the dua of the madroom, meaning don't oppress people, right? The Prophet said, وسلم, that in, indeed Allah answers the prayer of the oppressed, even if it's their disbelievers. Meaning that if the oppressed are disbelievers and they pray against the Muslims, like they're oppressing me, Allah will, Allah will answer the prayer of the oppressed. Um... So he ends the hadith by saying what? What did he say? The end of the hadith? Beware of the prayer of thee. Because there is no veil between them and Allah. You think about this deeply. If you flip the script and you don't follow this, this order that the Prophet has ordered, Islam will become naturally an oppressive force and people will be oppressed by the way they've been taught Islam in the non-order in which they've been taught Islam, they'll end up praying against Islam in the Muslims. Are you guys following me? How much of that is real? Like that, or you're taught everything else to the point where like you feel like you're being impressed by like, by teachers because you're like, well, I'm not like, it's just too much. It's so overwhelming for me. Almost like you feel overwhelmed to the point of oppression. You guys know what I'm talking about? You feel overwhelmed by all of these different like categories of being Muslim and these expectations that you almost feel like a heaviness in your heart. Saying beware of that. Because what comes to a point where people are like, man, this, this religion is not for me right now. Like this, this religion is oppressive. Like I feel like I go home and it's like hostile territory. I feel like I come to the, this, my sacred spaces, my mosque, whatever. And I feel like I gotta be, up, I gotta be tight the whole time because if I don't do things right, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna, somebody's gonna say something. Somebody's gonna say something and I'm gonna have to be otherwise, because I'm not gonna feel, it's so overwhelming. I actually feel spiritually oppressed in a mosque. We ask, we ask Allah to forgive us. But you go to his Muslim space, you should never feel spiritually oppressed. 
you come to a space to feel fiercely uplifted, reflected, inspired, agitated a little bit, and then you leave those spaces. When you go to, how many of us have been, raise your hand, you've been to Medina. Raise your hand, you've been to Medina. How many of you have gone to the Rauda of the Prophet and left feeling oppressed or feeling heavy? Not by the people that like are there doing things, but by the Prophet How many of you have gone to these places and unfortunately, like the way you've been treated, even in the place like the Haram, you feel like, bro, really? Like even in the Haram, you're like, man, really? Like even here, right? But when you go right to see the Prophet in the Green Dome, all of that goes away right away. Because Al-Habib, he would never let people come to him and leave them except they were in a better, lighter state than, they left, than he left them. Sallallahu alayhi wa So what does that mean about the actual sacred spaces that we have? And he says, Be mindful of Allah. Inna Allah alim. Allah is all hearing and all seeing. And when Allah says he's all hearing and all seeing, this is called, Imam al-Laqadi calls this sifatul ma'ani, the attributes of meaning. The attributes of meaning. Sifatul ma'ani. Meaning one of the beautiful things about our theology is our theology is the only theology that I can think of that expresses Allah's nearness to you while expressing his otherworldliness, his transcendence. So Allah says, We're closer to them than their jugular vein. But he'll also say, There's nothing like him. He's all hearing, all seeing. Right? So he talks about how close he is, but also how transcendent he is, all embracing his, all enveloping his. Our mercy encompasses everything, and we've written it for the ones that have taqwa of Allah. Naam. And then we get to the next verse, inshallah ta'ala. Naam. The immediate command of the next verse is what? That, oh, you who believe, don't raise your voice over the voices of the Prophet. And don't like talk in a high frequency like you do with each other. For perhaps it'll wipe out or make meaningless your actions and you don't see it, you don't feel it. Naam. It was related that A, that when uh, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and Sayyidina Umar is related in Sahih Bukhari, that they had come to, there was a disagreement that had occurred amongst a decision that both of them made. So the, some people took the opinion of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, some people took the opinion of Sayyidina Umar, and they began to fight with each other, argue with each other. And he says, Do you seek to have a difference of opinion with me? Do you have a secret to like differ with me? And they started to raise their voice unknowing that the, who's the quietest one in the group right now? Who's the quietest one in the group? Messenger of Allah, he's not saying anything. The adab of the Prophet is that he doesn't even try to correct them. But Allah brings on a verse and says, don't raise your voice over the voices of the Prophet. Why? Because one of the signs of the hypocrites, munafiqeen, is that they never cared about having etiquette with the Prophet. 
They never cared about it, that they would yell, they would scream, they would ask uh, purposefully embarrassing questions in front of the Messenger of Allah. Like, you do ever have people that ask, like, just questions just to test you? This is from bad adab. You're not supposed to do that. Like, just to test you, right? It's almost like you're going through customs and, like, you're getting your, you're trying to sign up for your global entry. Do you know when they give you the thing? Your TSA? It's almost like coming into certain Muslim spaces. It's like going through TSA check-in. You come in and there's like a checklist. Right? Are you all familiar? There's a checklist. And you, you can almost feel people like, you can feel you're getting bodied a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? You sort of walk in, you're like, yeah, I totally feel like I'm going through like the, the scan thing. Right? Like everybody could like, I'm too, and then I'm being like, it's like, and you could see, do you know when you get through TSA and then you look through that thing and there's like red stuff? Like it's like all green is like a red thing. That means you have a piece of metal on you or something like that. It's almost like you come to the space, you come through the door and it's like, it's a scan. It's like, what's on me? You literally, I've gone, I swear to God, I've gone to no reason. I have nothing on me. I've gone to certain spaces. I started to check my pockets. I have not, there's no reason to, because you're just so used to people just, you know what I'm saying? Like you start, you start feeling a certain way at times because you feel like you're going through like a security check-in line. But that's a bad adab. And one of the signs of the, the four signs of the hypocrite, according to uh, Imam al-Nawi, is in the hadith of the Prophet you usually heard the three signs, which are what? If that, when they speak, when they speak, they do what? They lie. If they're given a uh, um, trust, they break it. If they're given authority over something, they, they, like, they, they betray people that are around them. But there's a fourth one. But in Khasama, when they disagree with one each other, and Fajru, that they use foul language. When they disagree, they start to use foul language with each other. They start to curse each other out. They start to scream at each other. They start to, they start to take personal attacks on each other, right? They start, to go, they start to go at each other's jugular vein, right? When they start to disagree, it's a sign of hypocrisy. We ask Allah for tawfiq from that and protection from that. That speech is the beginning of adab. Is speech and the only one, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, wa ala alihi wasallam, that could actually maintain good comportment in speech, like nobody else was a messenger of Allah. Was a messenger of Allah. A man comes to the masjid and read this whole. You've heard this hadith probably a few times, but think about this hadith in the light of the rifa' as sawt of the Prophet There has never been a hadith that tells us that the Prophet ever yelled. Screamed. Did he speak firmly? Yes. Did he ever scream? No. How did they know he was angry? He had a vein that would pop up on his forehead, and then they would be like, okay, he's angry. That there are certain telltale signs on people's faces, you could tell they're upset. He had a telltale sign, which is what? SubhanAllah, it was just a graceful vein, and he was, Nabi was upset, but he would never say it. Right? So a person comes to the masjid and they're giving a halaqa, right? A man comes, a Bedouin man. And there's a, there, people are they're sitting down in the mosque and he removes his pants and he begins to urinate in the masjid. Fabala ila masjid He starts to urinate in the mosque. You've all heard this, but you never think about. Look, we've said this hadith a billion times, but we all know if somebody came to our sacred space and they urinate in our mosque, we would have the same reactions of the companions. And what was their, what was their reaction? For, that they came and they actually took they were about to take their swords out to kill him they were so they were going to attack him they were going to kick him out drag him out of the mosque is that a natural reaction or not is that a natural reaction if somebody urinates on your carpet in your house in your family room like you're just chilling with your homeboy and he goes hey man i gotta use the bathroom you're like yeah the bathrooms are there he's like oh no i'm good 
and he starts to pee in your carpet? He just starts to pee in your carpet. What would you all say? Honestly, what would you all say? This is exactly what happened. You're like, dude, what are you, why are you peeing in my carpet? You'd be in shock. Would you ever invite somebody in your house who peed on your carpet, right? Literally, if somebody's cat urinates on your carpet, you wouldn't invite their cat back to your house, right? Let alone a person. That person urinates in the mosque of the Prophet, so send them. Look, they start to raise their voice. What does the Prophet say? He said, like, relax, guys. Meaning, even in this case, you're going to raise your voice and I'm in front of you? You're going to raise your voice. Like, am I raising my voice? Like, why are you raising your voice? And then he orders for some, he orders for some water. And you know what the hadith says? He orders for some water. He washed it with his own hands. A man pees in the masjid. He allows him to finish his urination because it's, he allows him to finish his urination. doesn't stop him. He orders from water. The hadith says, let him finish. And then he orders some water. And then he goes and you're picturing Sayyidina Wajud cleaning another man's urine with the water that was giving it in his own mosque. And then he tells him, is this a place that is appropriate for such a thing? And he says, no. He says, is this a place? This is the house of Allah. This type of comportment isn't appropriate here. And the man says, Allahumma yarham Muhammada wa yarhamni wa la yarham ahad akhir. Oh Allah, have mercy on me. Have mercy on Muhammad and have mercy on me and don't have mercy on any of these people here. Like don't have mercy on anybody else. And the Prophet says, you have constricted that which is otherwise vast. And the man goes back to his tribe and he says, oh my people, Accept Islam for there is no teacher more loving, caring, and gentle than Muhammad. There is no teacher more loving, caring, and gentle than Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam wa ala alihi. So that was his ma'jiza. Ibn al-Khaldun says this was the miracle of the Prophet that beat every miracle is the fact that he was calm. He was calm. And that was a Muslim. Hold that thought. That's a Muslim. That's a Muslim. When Moses has to go, is commanded to go to Pharaoh, what does Allah command Sayyidina Musa? This is Pharaoh. This is the worst of the worst. This is the, the, the primordial, perpetual villain of the Quran. Musa, uh, sorry, Sayyidina uh, uh, Al-Fir'aun, right? Who says the biggest crime? He says, Ana I am your Lord most high, to the point where even the devil has says, Inni alameen. I'm afraid of the I wouldn't do that. Like that, I wouldn't do. I would do a lot of things, but I would never claim myself to be God. So he actually is worse than the devil in that regard. And he's oppressive. And you all know the story of the Fir'aunic injunctions. Allah tells uh, Moses and, and Aaron, go to Pharaoh because he's gone astray. Right? And then he tells them what? Had to speak to him. Go fight him. Go scream at him. Right? Go take him out. Debate him. Give them all the proofs of why he's false. What does he say? But speak to him in a gentle way. Perhaps he'll remember all he'll fear. Perhaps he'll remember all he'll fear. And they say, Ya Allah, we fear. What if he, uh, what if he, what if he plots against us or he hurts us? What does Allah say? Don't worry, I'm with you. I hear and I see. Meaning that if you know that Allah is with you, if you know he's seeing and watching anything, 
There is no reason to be rough on people. There is no reason to be difficult on people. There's no reason to like be Allah. I have to. I have to go. I have to go online and write a rant about how the Ummah is damned. But Allah's Allah. Allah's Allah will take care of it. Allah's take. Allah's seeing all. Don't worry. Like Alhamdulillah. Like Allah will take care of that one person, that one city that said one thing that you've never met before, that really agitated you, made you feel, and that you have to go and correct them now. Right? Allah will take care of it. Don't worry about it. Right? Allah will take care of it. Say the truth has come, falsehood is faded, and the nature of falsehood is that it what? It fades. The nature of falsehood is that it fades. So don't worry about all of that. And then he says to him, uh, and then he says, so he tells Moses, speak to, he commands him, but what does he, speak, what does he tell about the Prophet it's from the mercy of your Lord that what? Lintalahum, you were gentle on people. That if you were harsh-hearted, O Muhammad, they would have fled away from you. Now think about this verse in the Quran. If all of our discourse was about harshness and irtifa' screaming, how many people would even come to our communities? How many people would feel safe in your environment that you're here? Right? Why? What does Sayyidina Luqman say? He tells his son, lower your voice. When you're teaching people, giving da'wah, he said, lower your voice. Inna ankara aswat. The most hated voices is the voices of brazen donkeys. It's in the Quran. The most hated, disliked of voices are the voices of brazen donkeys. Nobody's going to listen to you if you scream and kick up a fuss and you start to yell. Nobody's going to listen to you at all. Nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to get the message. They're going to think you're attacking them. Right? So the adab of the Prophet ﷺ was not to attack, it was to inspire. So this Bedouin man in comes and urinates, he leaves him in islah, in a better place than he's left him. When, when our communities, unfortunately, sometimes you lead them in a worse state that they've come, in I'yas, which is a more disparaged community that they've come into. We ask Allah for tawfiq, right? But this was the miracle of the Prophet ﷺ, that he could do this. This was his adab. So if he never raised his voice, why are you raising your voice in front of the Messenger of Allah? Why are you arguing in front of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ? And the four, uh, five objectives that you get from this is A, that you never raise your voice in front of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You never raise your voice when hadith is being mentioned about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, one time Imam Malik, you know, Imam Malik was a great jurist. He was, and this is a station that is incredibly high. He was uh, teaching hadith. He was teaching hadith and he was narrating a long hadith. That an Aqraba, you know, scorpion began to kept it kept it kept stinging his leg until it became like swollen. And he never stopped saying the hadith or even saying Ugh! from pain because he was reading a hadith of the Prophet. That's a station that people have. And when you when you have so much love, you're not even you don't even feel the pain anymore because your heart's full with so much of love. You don't even feel the pain. That he actually only felt the pain. After he said Sadaqa Rasulullah and he felt the pain right away. But as he was saying it, he felt pain. He was revising it. Look, he was revising the hadith and he was in rapture of the love of the Prophet. He couldn't even feel the pain of a, of a scorpion that was stinging him the whole time. 
May Allah have mercy on Imam Malik. May Allah be pleased with Imam Malik, right? I mean, that's a very high station to have. So even when hadith is being mentioned, you should never raise your voice over hadith, right? You should never ever raise your voice over hadith. And then when the salawat of the Prophet is being mentioned, when people say, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, and you'll see this even colloquially, that when people are getting to arguments, you'll see this in Arab countries, if you go, like when they're, when they're negotiating, you go to the souk or you go to the taxi, and they begin to like negotiate, I'll do it for this much, this much, this much. What do the people say? You guys know, what do they say? What's the first thing everybody says? What do they say? They say, Salu ala nabi. Salu ala nabi. And everybody goes, Salu ala nabi. I promise you, I've seen this with my own eyes. I was in a souk. You could do this in any place. You could go to like um, traditional places, Yemen, parts of like, uh, Turkey, like you go to Fez I did this in Fez and Meknes and other places that you Tunisia, you'll see this a lot you'll have souks, right, it's in these old cities so you walk into like the old Medinas of these cities and you'll see like these souks uh, people will start to like like argue, do that, like mufawda, right they will start to argue and then one person would say had sallu ala nabi, praise the Prophet sallallahu the entire souk from beginning to end will say Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, like you can see through the entire street They'll say, Allahumma sayyidina Muhammad, where I've, I've seen this with my own eyes. I was sitting there and everybody said salawat. There was a guy smoking pot. He was smoking hashish, right? He was in the corner smoking hashish. He heard the salawat. They came to him. You know what he did? He took his hashish and put it in his back. Subhanallah. He hid his, he hid his joint. Shuf the adab of the prophet. He was smoking pot. Bro, he's a pothead. He was smoking pot. And he heard the words of the prophet. What did he do? He hid his marijuana, Right? He hid it. He's not saying marijuana is halal. Don't leave this place and said you heard a lecture and it was like, oh, as long as he's in salawat, you can smoke pot. It's not what I'm saying here. Please don't take that into the wrong way. I just want to clarify. But what I'm trying to get is this is the adab of, of, of people who love the Prophet, that even that man, I saw it. I'm telling you, I saw it. That he heard the salawat of the Prophet and out of shyness, he did what? He just, he hid it. SubhanAllah. Like, look at the muhabba that he had in his heart for Habib Sallallahu Alaihi How could you not praise that person? Perhaps that muhabba would be the one that enters him into the garden. We ask Allah that he makes that a reality. That is just through our love of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi he enters us to the garden of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi And then you don't raise your voice in his resting place. That if you actually come to the resting place of the Prophet, right? So the rawda in Medina, you don't scream in Medina. That's why Medina, if you go to Mecca, Mecca is hustle and bustle. Everybody's screaming in Mecca. Have you guys been to Mecca before? If you've been to Mecca, raise your hand, you've been to Mecca. How loud is Mecca? Loud. How it's loud. When you go to Medina, how loud is Medina? How loud is Medina? You walk in, it's calm, it's quiet. Nobody raises their voice in Mecca. Why? Because Habib وسلم, is very there. Don't, oh, don't, uh, don't raise your voice in front of the voice of the Prophet. So much so that Imam Ali, he had, a, he had a door that was broken once and he went to go fix it. So he had to hammer the door out of adab for the Messenger of Allah. This is called adab. Adab for the Messenger of Allah. He took the door to the outskirts of Medina and he began sm smashing the door with the hammer such that it doesn't disturb the Prophet while he's resting. SubhanAllah. So it doesn't disturb the Prophet. And you see, when you go to graves, you don't scream in graves. You don't want to disturb your parents and your grandparents and those that have passed. You have adab for that. This is a civilizational etiquette that we have with people. There were people that were screaming and arguing about something in front in 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 the in the in Medina and say the Aisha, she said, Like you disturb the Prophet and he's resting, right? 
you disturb him and he's resting? So you don't raise your voice over his resting place. And then if this is how you treat the messenger of Allah and his hadith and his sunnah, how should you treat the Quran when it's being recited? That you're quiet. Now people, and they have the Quran on and the Quran is like plays and you're having conversations in the Quran, right? It's just, yeah, yeah, it's in the background. It's just background noise, right? If the Quran is being recited, Allah says, listen. Shh, you gotta be quiet, you listen. It's the words of Allah. These are the kalam of Allah. You don't speak over it. You don't argue when the Quran of Allah is going on. And you don't use the Quran to diffuse arguments. You know, you get into a fight, somebody starts yelling, you say, you don't do that either. So you don't abuse the Quran and use any of these things for your advantage, right? And say, I don't want to have this conversation. You get to an argument with your wife at home. She's like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? You don't say, you don't start reciting Quran just so you can shut your wife up. You know what I mean? You shut your husband up, shut your kids up, right? You don't do that either. But when it's being recited, you say quiet. You say quiet. Na'am na'am. Um, and one of the flip sides of that is you're like, okay, I don't raise your voice. Does that mean be calm all of the time? Some of us are just loud people. Some of us, when we walk into the room, we're, everybody knows we're loud people. We have loud voices, right? Some of us are. There's nothing wrong with that. We're rambunctious. This is part of our nature. Sometimes when we speak, we're, we're incredibly loud, right? There is, a, there is a man that was incredibly loud like that. Right? He was incredibly loud. He loved to come and joke around. He'd come in the room. Everyone was like, bro, he's in the room. His name was Qais. Uh, he was, his name was Al-Qa'id uh, ibn Qais. Qa'id ibn Qais. He would walk in a room. He's like, oh, Qa'id's here. Right? Everybody's like, oh, Qa'id. Everyone knows, like, oh, Qa'id's here. He's here. I can hear him from the other side. Qa'id just walk into the room. He's already starting. He goes, he's saying, he's dabbing everybody up. He's, what, you know, he's saying, salam alaikum salam. He's like, what's going on, guys? He's already saying, he's a dahak. Straight up, he's making jokes all of the time. Naam, he heard this voice. Listen to the story. He hears this. He hears this being uh, revealed. He hears the Prophet reciting, وسلم, don't raise your voices. And he vanishes from the community for a while. He leaves. And um, Somebody finds him at a, at a street corner, right? Sitting down and and he's just crying. He's sitting there and he's crying. He's like this at a street. He's just crying. And one of his friends, another companion, uh, he passes by him, right? His name was Asim. He passes by him. He's one of his friends. Like, why are you crying and why do you look so depressed? He said, He said, I heard this voice come down and I think that is talking about me because I'm a loud person. He said, I think it's talking about me. His verse came down and I can't, I can't help but think this is who I am. Like the Prophet is rebuking me through Allah. And I'm somebody who has a loud voice. I don't, I don't know, I just can't help it. So he goes to his home and he locks his door and he sits in his home. 
and they went to the messenger of Allah and the messenger, and wonder why the messenger of Allah notices that he's not there. And you're not supposed to ask the first time, the second time, because like maybe somebody's sick, maybe somebody has like, you know, they're doing some like, they have something, you don't want to ask like what they're doing. But after a while, the messenger is adab, look at the adab of the messenger of Allah. He doesn't go up and says, you know, uh, where have you been the whole time? Hey, where's such and such? It seems like they're not around anymore, right? Oh, they just like bounce, like they're not going to come back. They didn't even say bye to me, like what the heck, right? They didn't say salam to me. Just quiet, alhamdulillah. And then how does he ask? He's like, does anybody know if, if Qa'ad is okay? Does anybody know if Qa'ad is okay? There was no like, what? You're, not, you didn't, you're not attending the class. You know what I'm saying? I, I have that all the time. You cats come to class, all of a sudden they don't tell me. The first thing I go to them is, what's up, man? You bet you, the, huh? You better drop out of the class, don't even tell your boy. Habib him, he was just like, I hope he's okay. I hope nothing happened to him. I hope he's safe. And I asked him, goes to the Messenger of Allah, and he says to him, Ya Rasulullah, this is what happened. That he is like overwhelmed with tears. He's overwhelmed with tears, O Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu comes to the Prophet and she says, that when I go into his house, I realize he just locked the door shut. The door is locked. He nailed himself shut because he thought revelation was coming to rebuke him. And he said, I tried to open it that he locked it on me. Like he wouldn't come out of the bay, the house, right? And then they knocked on the door. They knocked on the door and they said, Qa'ad, come out, come out. And he said, I'm never going to come out until Allah causes me to die or the messenger of Allah is pleased with me. You would have to, I'm not coming out. This verse is about me. I'm out. I'm tapped out. I'm not coming out. I'm staying here until I, you guys don't need, have any need for me. I'm this person that they spoke about in the verse and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not coming out. Naam. And the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he's told, this is what he's saying. So the Prophet ﷺ, he went to his home and he, uh, uh, he goes and asks him وسلم, he says, tell them I'm making dua for him so he can come out. And he goes and he said, he's not coming out. So he goes back to that and he says, he's like, why are you crying? He says, why are you crying? He said, Ya Rasulullah, ana sayyitu wa atakhawf an takunu hadhihi al-ayah tazaltu alayh that, oh Allah, I'm somebody that is loud and I fear that, I fear that this verse, la tarfa'u sawta fawqa aswat al-nabi is of me. I fear that he's talking about, Allah is talking about me. And look at the Prophet Sallallahu what does he say? He says, ya qad, he said, anta lasta minhum. By Allah, you're not from these people. You know who you are? He said, who am I, O Messenger of Allah? He says that uh, He says that Oh, oh Qa'ad Should I not tell you That you're the person to Allah 
تعيش الحميد that you live a beautiful life تقتل شهيدا that you live a life and you would die a martyr وتدخل الجنة and the gardens are written for you and the gardens are written for you and he said really a messenger of Allah he said raditu bi bushra wallahi wa rasul he said i'm telling you glad tidings from you and the messenger for, from from allah for you from allah and his messenger right and then the prophet said and as for that verse ya qad it wasn't about you at all it wasn't about you at all adab of the prophet sallallahu this was his adab this is how you deal with people in your community right you're going to have to understand the quran what is talking about and make sure that dude, the quran doesn't come and hurt people like we're not using the quran to traumatize people we're not using the sunnah of the prophet to invoke trauma and pain on others we're using it to empower others but the only way you'll know that is that you dedicate yourself to a study actual study of who he is وسلم, and how he understood revelation Naam. and then the next verse and we'll end here inshallah ta'ala right where he says the next verse is inna alladhina yaqduna aswatihim 'inda rasulillahi ulaika alladhina amtahina Allah qulubihim bitaqwa wa lahum maghfiratun wa ajrun 'azim inna alladhina yunadiqu bi wara'il hujrati aktharuhum la yaqilun na'am he says that as for the ones that they lower their voice in front of the messenger of Allah he's the one that Allah has tested in their hearts and verified their their taqwa their mindfulness of Allah and for them is a great uh, forgiveness and a great reward. Naam. Um, that every, our religion, part of our religion is that Allah tests our faith, right? Allah tests our faith. The test of faith comes down to, and we're going to discuss this in the next ayahs in the in next month, inshallah, is your comportment with each other. Your adab with each other is part of the test of your faith. Amtahina Allah. Allah puts them through an examination, right? Uh, Allah says in the Quran that He says, "Atahsabu." Uh, that do you think and nutruku and nakhulu amanna fahum fahantum fahum that do you think that you're going to be left by saying like I believe, and you're not going to be put into tribulation or tests, right? No, we've tested the people before you and the ones after you. And ya'lamukum, so we can show you uh, who the who the liars are and who the ones who are truthful are. That everything goes through the sunnah of Allah is that you have to go through a process of verification, and you go through it all the time. You go through it with your family. You go through it with your friends. You go through it with your job. You go through it with your you know uh, applying to something. You go through it with your relationships. Is relationships are put into the test, aren't they? All the time. You have to see who your real friends are and who the fake friends are. Right? I'm not saying you don't, that this doesn't mean that you get into, the, and one of the beautiful things of Allah is that his net is wide, right? His net is incredibly wide, but you have to recognize like, oh, this person, right, they're, they're, they're loyal, or this person is somebody that's disloyal. This person is somebody that can be relied upon. This person is somebody that cannot be relied upon. This is, the, this is how we operate, but we expect Allah not to operate like that with us. We expect God not to operate with the, with like so that the Allah tells the Prophet in Kuntum Allah, if you love Allah, then follow me, Allah will love you. Allah, Allah will love you. That there is a process of there is a process of of um of uh, of being tried and tested. 
in seeing what your faith is. But here, the test is how is your adab with the Prophet ﷺ? How are you behaving with each other with your speech? How are you behaving with each other with your speech? Why? Because the Messenger of Allah, he says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wa Ali, that inna rajul yatakallum bi kalimati min ridwanullah la yalqi laha bala yaktub lahu biha jannah. That a person says something that was pleasure to, pleasurable to Allah. And he didn't even realize that Allah was happy what he was said, but just with that word, Allah writes for them the garden. And he says, That somebody says something from the anger of Allah. They don't even think about it. But they're thrown into the fire by not thinking about what they've said, what is between the heavens and the earth. In another narration, a person says something. They've said something, but they haven't thought about what they said. How hurtful the thing they've said could be. How insensitive they were when they said something. How, uh, how rude they were when they said what they said. How disrespectful they were when they said what they said. They never clarified it, right? But they're pulled down to it between in the distance into the fire, between the west and the east. May Allah forgive us and make us people that are mindful. Speech is incredibly uh, mindful. But when you speak with a soft tone, it everything changes. That's why the, Allah says, sadida. Speak, speak straightforward. He will. Fix all of your affairs. Right? And he will uh, forgive you for all of your sins. Forgive you for all of your sins. Uh, that soft speech changes everything. It changes everything. And that's why he said, وسلم, nobody says something in rifq. What rifq is? In a compassionate manner. Except it beautifies things. Except it beautifies it. And nobody speaks about something with harshness. Except it makes that thing ugly. So what, is this, what does that mean to us? That when we're teaching Islam, when we're talking about our tradition, when we're giving that one, when we're doing all these things, are we presenting this thing in the most beautiful way that we could present it? That people, it actually... Like Allah makes it firm in their hearts. He makes it beloved to them. Or even if it's the truth, we've, uh, we've ornated the truth in such an ugly way, in such a disparaging way, disparaging way, that even if it's the truth, nobody would accept it. Because of the way it's being presented. Who's at fault here? The vessel or the one who's receiving the message? It's the vessel's dirty. The vessel itself is dirty, right? So you have to have this comportment when you're talking with each other uh, in, a, in a manner that presents this thing that we're trying to do in the most compassionate way you can possibly give it, in the most beautiful way you can possibly give it. And then what happens is you become somebody that's beloved in their speech. What does the Prophet say, وسلم, whomsoever, Guarantees for me what is between their two jaws. Between their two jaws and between their two legs. 
and I guarantee for them paradise. What does that mean? You speak truthful, you speak beautifully, and you speak compassionately, right? And if you're angry, if you're angry and you want to go out, what's the secret? What's the, what do you say? Say, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Send salawat on the Prophet and it'll go away right away. It goes away, anger goes away. Does this mean, am I saying, saying that we're not going to be in places where we get upset? No, the companions got upset. Uh, they, were, they were sitting with Habib sallallahu alayhi wa Some of the women were sitting with the Prophet of God sallallahu alayhi wa And they, uh, they had a, um, were teaching. They were teaching and learning. Sayyidina Umar comes and the women get up and they go and they hide behind the curtains. Right? And they said, he says, woe unto you. You insult me. You sit with the messenger of Allah and you guys are all okay with them. But I walk in the room and you... You all hide from me? Like, what's wrong with you? And, the messenger, and they said, Oh, Umar, from behind the curtain, the messenger of Allah is gentle and he is soft with us. You, on the other hand, are harsh and you are, you are harsh and you are rough with us. And he gets upset. He's like, Oh, buzzkill. All these women think I'm like a, you know what I mean? They think I'm that guy. <laughs> Now look at the response of the Prophet ﷺ. He started to laugh. Who has more adab than the Prophet? He could have said, yeah, you should probably become like more like me. Like I'm super soft. That's why like all these people, they like super love me. I'm the, I guess I'm just rahmatullah al Like, you know what I'm saying? Mercy to all mankind. Did you not get the memo? What did he say to him? Yeah, Umar, don't worry. Indeed, you walk one way and the devil sees your shadow, and he fears that, and he walks the other way. So he, look, even when the women said that about him, he said, yeah, don't worry, man. To the softness in his voice, he said, but you still good because you fear the devil. Like if these women are scared of you, you should think about the devil. The devil won't even come next to your shadow. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Like who talks like this? The devil will come to you. Meaning like, don't change. You're good just the way you are. Oh, Omar, you're good just the way you are. Like, I know they made you feel bad, but don't worry. You have nothing to feel about because what? When you're in the presence, there's no shaitan. Shaitan, the, the devil himself will never come into your presence. He'll never come into your presence. And then the next verse, the next verse, the last verse is, but then you have people that they just scream. What happened was that there was a... Uh, uh, um, naam, that there was a, uh, a group of people from a tribe called Banu Tamim. They're Bedouins, right? They're from a place called like Najd. It's like in the other side of Arabia. And they were known to be very Bedouin, like loud. Like they would always be, uh, let's just say their etiquette was not of the highest standard. And they had something that they wanted to ask about the Messenger of Allah. And he was in with his wife in his house, right? And it was nighttime. And one of them is Iqra, uh, Iqra Bani Jalis, that he's from them, he's from this tribe, that he comes to the Messenger of Allah in front of his door and he says, Ya Muhammad, Ya Muhammad, we refer, Ya Rasulullah, that he just starts screaming, Oh Muhammad, come out, we need an answer, Muhammad. Now you think about this, imagine you're in your house, you're with your family, and somebody walks next to your home and starts screaming, Oh Mike, Mike, get out, Mike, right? Right? He starts, starts screaming, Israel, get out. Get out right now. I got to talk to you. Israel, get out. For Israel's like, bro, why don't you just text me? <laughs> like, what? like, get out, right? Honestly, how would you feel? 
Honestly, how you feel? Habib Sallallahu it said, Falam Yajibuhu. He said he didn't, he didn't even, he didn't even answer him. He didn't answer him at all. Why didn't he answer him? Out of shyness that he would be forced to tell him, yo, dude, like, don't do that. So Allah had to reveal on behalf of the Messenger of Allah, right? Look, as for these people, as for you all that are disturbing the Messenger of Allah when he's trying to be with his family, this is a big part of the community, man. Two things you're going to take from this. A, is that as, as a community, you're going to deal with characters that are Bedouin at times, and they're just not going to understand the etiquettes. And if you are in community, you have to be patient with them. You have to be patient. And your correction and your nasiha has to come through teaching. So a person comes to the Messenger of Allah. There was a man, he was a Jewish man, and he said, I tested all of the signs of prophethood of the Messenger of Allah, except for forbearance. So I lent him some money and it said, can you repay me back in a week? One of the amazing things is even in the height of their jahiliyyah, Abu Jahl himself would actually give the messenger of Allah money, Abu Sufyan, even when they're at war with them because they said he's the only one we could trust with our wealth. Like we're trying to kill him, but I don't trust anybody else with our wealth than the messenger of Allah. He said that, uh, na'am, that he said that, well, well I'm going to give you some money, give it back in a week. He comes three days too early. And as a prophet, he's wearing a robe. He's wearing a robe. And he grabs the robe of the Prophet and he throws him down. Throws him down. And he said, I always knew the children of Abu Muttalib are procrastinators. Yani the grandfather of the Prophet. He's on a curse of family out now. Man, I knew these guys can never be trusted. You're from the family of Muttalib. I knew you all can be trusted. Runs in your veins, man. I can never trust you for anything. Sayyidina Omar looks at him and picks up Habib and said, now Prophet rubbing off the sand from his body. And he said, he said, if it wasn't for what I feared I would lose, I would cut your head off right now. How dare you speak to him like this? I'm going to cut your head off right now. What does the Messenger of Allah say? Malhana ya Amaran. He said, relax, ya Umar, calm down, be soft. And he said, ya Umar, it is better for you to advise me to pay up on time. The Prophet, was he late to his payment? La. It's better for you to ask me? Ya Rasulullah, you should pay on time. Shuf Habib And he said, you should, um, and you should, O Amr, advise him to be more gracious in the way he asks me for it. O Amr, go grab some of our money. Go give him money in paying him back and give him a little bit more for what you have scared him by. Give him a little bit more because you frightened him. Recompense because you frightened him. But the Messenger of Allah never raised his voice in this capacity and never for himself, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he wouldn't have raised his voice over this man, al-Aqra'a. He wouldn't have raised his voice over him except if Allah rebukes him himself. Part of your community is you also have to deal with people that just don't understand the cultural and the norms of good etiquette within your community and establish those norms. And through compassion and love and through teaching and through learning the things that we're learning, you embody that in your community. And I promise you, if you embody that in your community, it would be a natural, organic, like expectation that people walk in, they would just leave better people. Like that would just become the natural expectation, right? That's the first thing that you have to get, that you're going to deal with that. 
you're going to deal with that. The second thing is like, you also need time for your family. And just because people are asking for your help all the time, doesn't mean that you have to neglect yourself and your family for them. That Habib Allah is saying what? Ya Rasulullah, you need time with your family. You need time for yourself right now. Don't answer them. It's the middle of the night. You, you need some time to take care of your, your people, your children, your community, your friends. This is what Allah is saying. Like, because in a, you know, in another narration, in another uh, uh, context, Allah reveals, don't enter the homes of the Prophet except you ask permission. Why? Because you had guests that came to the house of the Prophet and they would never, they didn't leave until sunrise. And the Prophet he didn't have, he didn't have it in him to say, hey, you guys got to leave, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired, but they felt so comfortable around him وسلم, that they, were, he, they thought that he just wanted us around. But Allah had to say, like, you need to, you need to leave. Like, don't enter upon the house of the Prophet وسلم, and basically, like, take on, like, you know, um, like, uh, like, do takalluf on him, like, to take over his time, right? A part of your, yourself, part of this verse is to recognize that when you are prophetic leaders in your community, you're going to want to save the entire world, but you also need time to be in your own hujrats, in your own chambers, and spend time in your own chambers, and spend time with yourself. You're not going to be able to respond to everyone on time all of the time. That's sad. You're not going to be able to like go to everybody's need all of the time whenever. That there is a time for everything, and there is a there is a place for everything. There's a time, the Prophet said وسلم, that there's a time for everything and there's a place for everything. There's a time for deen and there's a time for dunya. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he uh, gives us the forbearance of the Messenger of Allah, that Allah is the core of our lives, that the Messenger of Allah is our model and the afia and the lutf and the, and the strength to become people that are soft in our speech and that have adab in the way we uh, practice our deen and comportment in the way we behave one another. فَنَسُلَّهُ وَالْعَافِيَةِ فَصَلَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى سَيْدْنَا مُحَمَّدُ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَجْمَعِينَ سُبْحَانَكَ رَبِّكَ رَبِّ الْعِزَّةِ عَمَّا يَسِفُونَ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِ الْحَمْدِ اللَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.